Running a city means making tough choices, Miss Bennett. With all due respect, I think you're making a mistake. The kids aside, the Skating Oval represents a commitment to revitalize downtown, to make the city more accessible and family-friendly. If it closes, that would be a major step backward. City Council dead set on this. Numbers are the numbers. Brendan, the numbers are the numbers. And the numbers today is that it's December the 19th, 2020, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. Allie Reed, thanks for guesting on the episode. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Brendan, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, brother. Good to hear from you again. I got two top stories this week. One of them is, of course, the movie Christmas on Ice coming out. And the other top story is that I don't know what's going on in Worcester because the Telegram and Gazette local RSS feed, which for a number of years now has been how I sort of skim the day's headlines in the Telegram, clicking through as necessary, their RSS feed broke on October the 26th, around 8 in the evening. In some ways, the timing was perfect because this was, uh, whatever, a week before the election. And so, you know, the most aggravating local news of the year probably was going to come out that week. My feelings towards the city have gotten very positive. It took me about Mm. maybe five weeks, six weeks to figure out that this had happened. I think that up until then, all the way I was keeping up with local news is either every once in a blue moon clicking through something on social media or else just talking to people. And so I would be surprised at, you know, some things that people knew that I had not heard about yet. But overall, I felt like I was able to uh, discuss lots of local issues with what I felt was a lot of uh, a lot of insight, despite having no idea what was going on in the daily newspaper. And that was well, I think the secret, Mike, is that none of us have any idea what's going on in the city of Worcester. And, uh, and that about sums it up. You can, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure tour. You just you just make up whatever you feel like making up and it sticks. Brendan, what did I miss? Uh, nothing. You missed nothing. When did you say the RSS feed went down? October the 26th. So interestingly enough, uh, our primary subject today, uh, Christmas on Ice, filmed in February of 2020 uh, here in Worcester. It was released on October 23rd. I wonder if there's a connection. <laughs> I don't it's know. so popular, there's no need for news. You know, that is the news. Yeah. You know, I didn't watch Christmas on Ice until very recently. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I, uh, I mean, like, how did you make it so long without having it ruined by spoilers? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think I talked to anybody who uh, who really saw it either. At least not in any detail until I saw it. I think I, I think I saw one, you know, one news article out there with a title something like, you know, I watched Christmas on Ice, which you don't, so you don't have to. And all I thought mm-hmm. of the headline was, boy, you don't know your audience. If you think that I somehow don't want to watch a Christmas movie set in Worcester, <laughs> or like, you know, or that somehow I feel like I, somehow I would feel an obligation to do so, despite not wanting to do so, neither of these scenarios is true. Um, I'm pretty much convinced that I'll make it my entire life without seeing this film. I think that would be fine. Although, Brendan, this is the only uh, Worcester political thriller about ice skating that I'm aware of. Except for the actual Worcester City Council. Except, well, I, I tell you, one thing that I really appreciated about this movie was that it gives us an opportunity to talk about the city in a sort of a silly way. And there are many... Uh, <laughs> As opposed to what we normally do. Well, I mean, there, uh, or it gives us new opportunities. It gives us new frames. Like, there's plenty of stupid and dumb stuff that happens, uh, you know, in Worcester on a local political level, as in any place in the world on a local political level. But there's not a lot of sure. silly stuff. I would say that except for, like, certain parts of Gary Rosen's public persona, there's not a lot that's legitimately silly. And, like, obviously, Just, like, say, just like, say rubber sidewalks, Mike. Exactly. So rubber sidewalks, the rat <laughs> attack, all that kind of great stuff. You know, and, like, Gary obviously, like, plays up a certain amount of that goofiness. 
Um, and that, that's one reason I think we refer to him so much on this show is just because, I don't know, there's some catharsis there. You can talk about local politics, but not in a completely serious and uh, frustrating way. That right there is the big missed opportunity from what I've, what I've heard of Christmas on Ice, that the mayor in the movie isn't the mayor of Worcester, but the mayor of Worcester plays a city councilor in the movie. And that actually should have been Mayor Joe Petty as city councilor Joe Petty, played by city councilor Gary Rosen. Uh, Gary Rosen would have been a much better Joe Petty than Joe Petty in a film where Joe Petty isn't Joe Petty, but plays Joe Petty. His cameo is extremely small. It's definitely a bit of a blink and you'll miss it cameo. Uh, he does not say anything. He just gives somebody else a significant look during a, a strange city council meeting. Allie, why don't you talk about your, your feelings about this? Because you've seen this a couple of times. You've seen this with a bunch of people, right? Uh, yeah, I watched, I watched this on my own and then I watched this uh, with the rest of my household okay. uh, last Monday. My primary takeaway is that it, it feels written by some sort of board in charge of revitalization because there are a lot of things in it that, that read like an RFQ, like dialogues spoken between characters. It's like, you know, it's, it's the crown jewel of the city's recreational offerings. How dare you close this is like a big selling point for, for this skating rink. So structurally, that's interesting. I was going to say, it feels like the, the other big miss to me is that it doesn't capitalize on... Samuel Winslow at all that Worcester's original skating tycoon mayor oh right is unaddressed right yeah I forgot about that because he he owned a company that made ice skates or something yeah the Samuel Winslow skate manufacturing company yeah uh, I'm looking right now at a an ad from 1911 uh, uh -huh. so the company was based in in Worcester uh, you know Winslow skates excel the foremost Canadian skates and wherever skates are used, Winslow skates are famous. Uh, so he's the largest manufacturer of ice skates in the 1880s. And then he, um, yeah, became Worcester's mayor. This suggests that we could have another political thriller about ice skating. That is sort of a, sort of a prequel to Christmas on Ice. That would be right. all about Winslow and his wheeling and dealing. It's, it's, it was sort of odd for me to watch this movie. I think that most people who would watch this movie didn't know, who didn't know Worcester from a hole in the ground would say, okay, here's like a lifetime Christmas movie. Right. Um, I was talking to a dude yesterday who is who is quite the connoisseur of Christmas movies, and he was commenting on how uh, he felt like Hallmark really had this nailed, and that Lifetime was a way more low budget Christmas movie, and that it definitely feels way more low budget than the Hallmark movies I'm used to seeing. Mm. If you know about Worcester, it's a little weird to watch it because a lot of the details are extremely specific to Worcester, and also a lot of the details are not based in reality. Right. And so it's just a strange, it's just a strange funhouse mirror version of Worcester. Um, I've decided that for the purposes of silly political conversation, the way to think about this movie is in terms of timelines. I've heard a lot of people comment, uh, you may have been one of the first, Brendan, I don't know, since, you know, 2014, 2015, that they feel like we're living in the wrong timeline. That's oh, yeah. Historical events diverged and that we're not living in like a particularly, you know, horrible period of human history but that to the extent that we have horrors going on, they're fairly stupid and uh, boring horrors, historically yeah. speaking. And so somehow we're somehow in like the dull gray dystopian version of a, a, that, that, that the hero would go back in time or forward in time or sideways in time in order to get us out of this into a more, uh, a, a world where the horrors were more exciting. 
it's the Marvel, uh, it, it's the Marvel Comics, uh, real life version of like the Time Variance Authority, right? Like, yeah, that's they're trying, they're trying to, they're trying to realign the timelines to something that makes sense. And the problem is the general public are the ones that don't realize nothing makes sense. So I see Christmas on Ice as being an alternate timeline Worcester. This is a timeline in which at some point in the mid-90s, uh, this, the, uh, the campaign to have charter change in Worcester was successful. And so we got rid of our city <laughs> manager system of government. We moved to a strong mayor sister system of government. I mm-hmm. assume that briefly thereafter, the great uh, Calvin Greenwood was elected mayor and has probably been mayor uh, ever since for the last 20-odd years. Uh, and that also in this timeline, the Worcester Ice Oval was completed, I would say at least a decade before it was in our timeline, but also the Worcester Ice Center uh, took, I don't know, what, five years longer to be completed than in our timeline? So that some mm-hmm. things are very slightly different. Birch Tree is, you know, Birch Tree is still in, Bakery is still in the same place. The Crompton Building is, you know, very much the Crompton Building that we know and love. Um, also, I, obviously, there's no uh, COVID pandemic in this uh, other timeline, and oh, that's I'll very exciting. I'll, I'll give Mayor Greenwood credit for that one. Thinking about it that way, I, I was able to enjoy it more rather than just saying this is wrong, to just say, like, okay, this is just, like, a weird alternate Worcester. I would buy that. What kind of Worcester exists in a world that, uh, you know, everything is a Christmas plot device? And that, that all tracks. That more... Yeah more young women of totally indeterminate age would be able to afford like exposed brick cloths uh, and go mm-hmm. to Birch Tree for every meal, get a publishing deal and have a book out in under a week. <laughs> that was something I was watching with, uh, with some friends of mine, including one of them who is a writer and they were uh, commenting on the fact that, uh, that, that Beth Cook's book of babies uh, sitting on Santa's lap and crying that this book, came out in no time apparently there, you, there's different bingo cards for watching christmas movies and that that's a bingo card you can or bingo square you can cross out if the protagonist is a journalist or writer beth is of course the second banana in this film so you maybe don't get to cross that out completely but that is at least a relevant element in this film mm. now do the two of you having seen this film feel as though it's had any impact on real life christmas in worcester because right, the common downtown it really looks amazing this year. It either looks amazing or it looks like the gaudiest thing that has ever existed. Like there is so much holiday on the Worcester Common. Do, do you think like now Worcester is trying to live up to expectations set, set for it in a alternate reality? It's like the Worcester Common got upset at the people in like, you know, West Side neighborhoods that have like absurdist Christmas displays on their house mm-hmm. and said, you know, we're, we're sick of losing attention to these folks so we're going all in it's that every square inch of the comet is lit with something maybe they did maybe they did make some preparation i don't know i mean this movie is very interested in the common the, the first shot of this film is uh, a shot of the war monument behind city hall the second shot is a uh shallow focused shot of turtle boy as a guy mm-hmm. sings like a child on christmas day every bit of light shines through and then we immediately go to the Ice Oval. This is a movie which is super interested in the common. It's super interested in the Crompton building. It presents, I feel like it basically presents a walkable Worcester, even though they do drive a little bit in this movie. Like a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the action takes place along <clears> the sort of axis between City Hall to Union Station to Kelly Square. And only right. occasionally, like when they go to N- former NHL star Noah Tremblay's house, do they go you know, out of that little axis. Also, there's no demonstration of its walkability. People appear places. I think there's like one shot of them sort of on the way into Birch Tree, but there's no um, there's no demonstration of like, you know, a sidewalk in perfect repair. 
Yes. That the snow has been appropriately cleared. Yes. Uh, yeah, things that would indicate actual walkability. Yeah, yeah. I just searched for Christmas on Ice uh, on YouTube so I could watch some of this footage while you're talking. And, and the third result in YouTube is actually uh, Christmas on Ice uh, at Bush Gardens, Tampa Bay. I, I'm wondering if this might be a harbinger of things to come, that where it's some sort of product placement for a much bigger event and venue, maybe a partnership with Tampa. I assume there are a thousand other things named Christmas on Ice. It seems like it's got to be <laughs> yeah. such a common title. I do hope that in years to come, this becomes sort of a Rocky Horror Picture Show type of a deal, or maybe a the Room type of a deal. Uh, I really hope that this year on Christmas, people you know do watch parties with their family or friends in remote locations, watching Christmas on Ice, and that you know we could come up with a real culture of like, I don't know, just like goofy bits around Christmas on Ice. But the title of it is pretty generic, unfortunately. There is also a, uh, from The Simpsons, it appears, a Krusty's Christmas on Ice, which I'm sure probably has more in common with the actual Worcester timeline than what's in this Lifetime movie. The person I was talking to about Christmas movies mentioned that he thought that there were a relatively large number of Christmas movies set in Worcester or in central Massachusetts, which is not my impression. Although I think that this same crew did do a movie the previous year, Christmas a la mode. Yeah. Ali, you saw that one, right? Yeah, I also watched that in preparation for this conversation. Uh, it's it's set in Sutton. And of course, Beth Cook, our our, our co-heroine Beth Cook, watches and cries at Christmas a la mode in Christmas on Ice, which is a beautiful moment. Is that what she's watching? Is she's well, I tell you this, it's credited as there's like a special thanks for permission to let us use our own movie, Christmas, Christmas a la mode. So oh. I assume that it's Christmas Alamo that she's watching. I don't know when oh. else there's a Christmas Alamo would appear in this film. That makes so much sense, but there's nothing to cry at in that movie. That's amazing. She's very weepy over, um, you know, some women working very hard to keep a dairy farm, but, but their, uh, their tenacity is never doubted in Christmas Alamo. So it's, it's strange <laughs> that she's just like sobbing alone <laughs> to a movie that's like pretty hopeful. It's mostly about people inventing ice cream flavors and entering a, a competition. Huh. Also, it's strange that she didn't recognize Noah Tremblay, the actor <laughs> Ryan Cooper, who is also the male lead in Christmas All Mode, but who is a, um, a real estate businessman descended from a pie tycoon. Oh, okay. How is he, how is he in Christmas All Mode? In Christmas on Ice, I watched the first half hour of it by myself, and then I watched the final hour of it with people, which I enjoyed much more. Right. And while I was watching the first half hour by myself, I was convinced that Ryan Cooper as Noah Tremblay was, was sort of doing a bad acting job or a very low-key acting job. And then taking a break and then watching the second part of it, I thought, you know what, I think he's just doing a much more realistic acting job than the overall tone of the movie and maybe many of the other actors that he's playing a lot of like the trauma of his character a lot. There's right. one moment in here where it talks about his late wife and that he hasn't really talked about her death with anyone. She died five years previously, which is pretty hardcore. And I feel like maybe Ryan Cooper is keying off of that and saying, this is a man who's extremely reserved, who has a lot of struggle. He's always struggling with something emotionally while he's talking to other people. And this is what comes off as a kind of a grayer performance than, you know, other people in the film. Um, but how is he in Christmas Hollywood? He's better. I think Christmas a la mode is of a similar writing quality, but the lead actress is a much better actress. Mm -hmm. uh, it's Katie LeClaire, who was the lead in a television show for five or six seasons in um, Switched at Birth. She just does a better job. Uh, and I think giving him a little bit more to act off of. His character is less reserved. His character also is harboring secrets. Uh, 
but he's generally like a pretty positive guy. There's no great tragedy in his life that he's um, holding back. So it's generally like a funnier presentation and he's the bringer of bad news, but he's not a, um, he's not sort of personally a downer. One thing that I had to look up about him, because at one point I couldn't decide if he was like maybe trying a little bit of a Massachusetts accent and then scaling it back or trying it again. And I was like, what is this dude's deal? Uh, And it's actually just that he's Australian. And there are like a couple of moments where like he's doing a bad job of suppressing his own accent, it seems like. And it reads as like a little bit chewy. In Christmas on Ice, he does a pretty solid job though, yeah? Yeah, he does. Figured it out. He nailed it. (laughs) <laughs> so here's an interesting thing michael I, I just realized that um the pop culture happy hour uh from npr back in november did their rundown on um hallmark lifetime netflix christmas movies and they actually uh mentioned uh christmas on ice in uh in their rundown the description though um a figure skater who runs the local ice rink in her adorable hometown will need help from a hockey player to save the critical community asset. I, how is that really, is that the thing that we should be focused on that Worcester is now viewed as adorable in the eyes of America? Uh, it comes off as adorable in this film for sure. Like I, huh. like I said, like it's basically inside city hall beside behind city hall, Noah Tremblay's house, which is in, uh, I probably wrote down what city I think it's in. I think it's in one of the suburbs, honestly. The Crompton building. It makes Worcester look like a, a, a somewhat of a, of, a night, of, a, of a more upscale city than I think it is in reality. There are definitely characters who are uh, not non-white in this film, but it does overall feel like a much whiter city of Worcester than, uh, you know, than you would get if you were just shooting video downtown. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not, not to an extent that I feel like I, we need to go into great detail complaining about lack of representation in the uh, extras in Christmas on Ice or anything like that. That's sort of an issue in a lot of Christmas movies, right? Like, I feel like unless you're in a very, like, basic survey of Hallmark Lifetime Christmas movies, it it feels like most of them are pretty white, uh, unless they're, like, about a a Black family or a family of color. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which, percentage-wise also kind of low in the in the grand scheme of how many of these movies exist yeah i'll tell you something that i really appreciated about this brendan and and the 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 thing that i think that makes this valuable to people like you and me who are you know people who obsess over city hall politics the way other people obsess over professional sports is the great moment where courtney bennett our heroine right she runs she's used to be a state figure skating champion she runs the ice oval during the summertime she teaches sailing at the lake, I think Lake Quinsigamond probably. But this is like her lifestyle in her early, early, early 20s. She loves this ice oval so much. The city council is like, it's gonna co- it costs us $135,000 a year to run the ice oval, which I'm not sure this is realistic. But, and they're like, we can't do it. This is a bunch of waste of time. We're gonna stop doing the ice oval. She is totally outraged by this. And she is an extremely intense person. So that like, I think for a while we wonder why is she so upset about the stupid ice oval? But then as we see her in more and more scenes, just like almost getting fistfights with people over very small things, we realize she's just a very intense person. She just feels strongly about what she feels strongly about. She wants what she wants. She does not change her mind under any circumstances. She talks to the mayor, Calvin Greenwood, and figures out that if they can figure a way to fund the ice oval, they can keep it open. And she then realizes that the mayor's daughter which is also Noah Tremblay's wife, dun, 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 died of cancer like five years ago. 
and that the city memorial fund, her friend Beth Cook, who works for the mayor's office, figures out that the city memorial fund it like, is not really getting spent. And so somehow uh, there's, they could easily get $135,000 a year out of the memorial fund if they could turn, if they could divert that money into the ice oval. So they, she makes a speech to the city council telling them about how they should do this because they're going to make it a memorial to the mayor's daughter who died of like, uh, uh, what did she die of, lymphoma or something? Melanoma. Melanoma. She died of melanoma five years earlier. And obviously the mayor can't propose this because this would be nepotism, as he mentions. And so the city council is very impressed by her speech and they go ahead and do this and they have a nice little, you know, a nice little opening event for this. But that moment, Brendan, felt like it felt very true to many things in Worcester to me, you know, where somebody's just like looking at these numbers on a page and then realizes like, ah, we can raid the memorial fund. Of course, we can totally pull this off. Can we talk about Elf next week? Actually, just hold up. Let's talk about Elf sometime around the 4th of July. <laughs> Allie, you said you were getting weird real estate flyers. You know, we get a lot of like letters that are typed up, some handwritten notes, a lot of like cash for your house offers. But in the last couple mm. of months, we've started to get more that are like, here's a postcard of a photograph of your house mailed to you, threatening to pay you cash for it, which I find disturbing, personally. Probably if you owned more than one property, which I don't even own this property, but if you own more than one property, they'd be like, this is the one that I'm talking about. And maybe that's helpful as a reference guide to what they want to buy from you. But oof, do not like the idea of someone trying to buy my house just standing in front of it. That is, it is actually pretty common though, that it's, yeah. it, it, especially it, right now where there is a, right. a huge number of buyers and there's zero inventory in the market. It's, um, it's pretty common if you've got buyers who are looking in a specific neighborhood or looking for specific types of properties like multifamilies in Worcester or whatnot, mm-hmm. it, it's easy just to pull a listing of owners from all of them and just pepper them with uh, offers to buy. Because it's a lot of folks don't even think about it, but then presented the opportunity will sometimes jump on it. Right. Yeah. There was actually a telegram just recently wrote, wrote a profile piece about a couple that live in the city. I can't remember what they do, but that's actually how they found their house is, um, um, yeah, they, they were writing letters themselves to people who they, uh, they wanted, they knew the neighborhood and the style of house that they wanted to live in. And they ended up finding their house via just contacting the owners directly. Yeah. I'm sure it works. I guess the one, yeah, the photograph is the thing that bothered me in particular. Like getting, mm. you know, getting a mailer is, it's fine to just like, you know, burn in the wood stove if you, if you're not in the, interested in selling. Uh, but it didn't, I didn't recognize it as a stock photo, as like a Google Earth photo of the Oh house. no, it's likely somebody went out and took the picture. It's funny, right. if you watch... If you're a, a fan of uh, observing nextdoor.com as the social network where everybody who is terrified of everything that happens around them hangs out, right. uh, it's very entertaining. That's the sort of thing you find all the time, that after you've owned a house for a while, you kind of get used to the idea that looking out the window, you're more often than not going to see someone standing there taking a picture. And it could be anything from you know your insurance company you know looking for updated photos to make sure the house didn't burn down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the city, you know, for assessment purposes or whatnot, like there's no shortage of people who are charged with doing that, but you right. only notice it if you're in like one place long enough, but somehow like, yeah, that, that's a common thing on next door. People calling the police because somebody was taking pictures of houses in the neighborhood 
and then you know it's it's just a real estate agent or you know it's someone from the assessor's office doing their job or what have you but it is such a weird thing the first couple times you know you see it like yeah when you see a photo of your house that you know you didn't you weren't you didn't participate in right. it wasn't just a you know some algorithm uh running on its own from a you know camera strapped to the back of a car for google right hmm. weird thing yeah. well mike what do you know. got Something that I have not heard people talk about, and maybe it's because I have no access to the newspaper at the moment, is are we going to have some kind of municipal fiscal apocalypse in 2021? Mm. Um, Interesting. I was reading about a survey of mayors of somewhat larger cities who were talking about how they would almost certainly have huge cutbacks in city services next year because you know all of their all of their uh, municipal income was going to be all screwed up because of the pandemic and all the pandemic measures that were taken mm-hmm. i have not heard this as far as the city of worcester goes maybe we're in much better financial shape than i would assume but i'm interested to talk about that not not today no no i mean yeah. a lot of that i mean hypotheticals of course but it's i, I think what's interesting is it, back at the start of all of this i think that was the common view that that's the direction things were headed in. I haven't seen anything concrete, but from what I've heard from people, uh, like at least on the state side of things, is that receipts are actually pretty healthy overall, in that while there are certainly budget concerns, like they're not too far off from the budget concerns we would normally have. Like that's the sort of thing that might impact Worcester more significantly because of dependency for essential services like education on the state side of things so that it, even if there's a small ripple on the state side it, it's likely to impact us more sure. i think the thing that'll be interesting on a local level is um with uh restaurants bars and hotels you know we have we took advantage as a city for the um the meals and lodging tax as a sort of a piggyback tax on top of our regular sales tax mm-hmm. and um that's probably an area where there's been a bit of a hit, but it's, I, I honestly have no idea as to how big, how, how significant a portion of the city's budget that is in terms of receipts. There's a, a really weird thing when you look at what this last year has been overall. It's, it's been so tragically disruptive for so many people, but at the same time, when you look at the country's professional class, it's been a pretty damn good year for them, right? Like commuting costs have all but disappeared uh, you know, people working from home. Um, there has been, you know, still uh, money that wasn't expected came through. Uh, a lot of businesses have seen good years. So that, so I, my point was just going to be not to make anyone feel bad if it's been a terrible year, like it has for me, like and, and a lot of other people, that some people are doing great. But those people who are doing great are in a way still floating a significant portion of the economy, right? They're, they're still spending. Um, their yeah. So that money is still in circulation. It's I was definitely on a personal level, like all about doom and gloom for the foreseeable future when it came to uh, state, federal and global economics. But it's almost starting to look like, man, like this could actually not be the the big disruptive, big disruption that we thought it was going to be. The things that I think are going to be interesting to watch over the next year, um, Bloomberg had a piece the other day. Which to me was interesting, not for the, the the point of the piece, which was they they highlighted how when it comes to reviewing uh, investor calls for with corporations now, they have a an AI tool set that can bulk scan. Uh, you know, in this case, it was like forty five hundred separate investor calls 
Um, and their, their AI will pick out the keywords that they're looking for so they can hone in, uh, they can look for trends, they can hone in on specifics for individual companies without actually paying someone to read uh, through all these transcripts, which to me was just fascinating. Um, terrifying, but fascinating. And one of the things that they found was uh, out of these 4,500 investor calls between June and September, it was the majority of those calls involved CEOs discussing the need to rethink um, real estate holdings uh, for their organizations. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think is going to be really interesting to watch, especially in a city like Worcester, where we're all familiar with that split between our commercial base and our um, residential base from a, a tax perspective, that they're, you know, if some of our larger employers start looking around and saying, hey, this work from home thing, this is not only not only are our employees happier, but productivity has gone through the roof. And if we think this through, we can eliminate all the costs involved with owning massive data centers and uh, office space. That's the sort of thing that not just here, but I think Worcester is a pretty good example of that could start having in, in the not so distant future, some pretty significant impacts on, uh, on both real estate uh, as well as uh, the taxes that come in from them. Yeah, I tell you, I'm pretty excited about, um, I'm pretty excited about 2021 from a, from a news perspective. It seems like there's a lot that might be uh, a, a lot, a lot of trends that are sort of dormant at the moment or, or, you know, things that are going on under the surface that are going to happen in 2020. And, you know, I would say excited rather than maybe eager, but just uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how they, how they go down in Worcester. Like, you know, how many of them are tragedies, how many of them are tragedies that we happily avert, how many of them, you know, turn out some other way that we never expected. Yeah. Well, if anything, that's the, that, that's the takeaway from this whole year, right? I mean, it, it, I know it's fun to talk about like 2020 as just this nightmare of a, of a year. If anything, it's just, no, nah, it wasn't really a nightmare as much as there were a lot of things that we didn't plan for that, that popped up on us at once, uh, but were still like seemingly predictable things uh, that we probably should have been better prepared for. It'll just be interesting to see if 2021 is, uh, is, is a continuation of that. I mean, man, like 2020 actually started with the New York Times breaking news uh, from the Pentagon that the skies are full of un unidentified flying objects that their pilots can't figure out, right? Like, yeah, I mean, this yeah. year w was started really weird <laughs> from the get-go, but it was also like the sort of weird that it's like, yeah, we get, we get other things to, to worry about. Yeah, we were too tied up with impeachment hearings at the time. In many ways, I, I would say that this year turned out much better than a lot of people expected. We did not have, uh, you know, I was, was worried. We did not have millions of COVID deaths in the United States as at one point right. forecast held. We had a lot more than one would like to have had, and that we can we can litigate that all we want, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But we didn't have like massive, massive deaths like we could have had. Um, economically, it's been a rough year, but not an apocalyptic year. We did not mm -hmm. have massive violence around the election. These are all things that I personally uh, certainly spent my chunk of time worrying about and thinking about. And yep. Uh, happy to that those uh, that those, those did not come to pass. So in that way, probably yeah. it's kind of a best case scenario. <laughs> yeah, no, it's right. If we're doing the glasses half full uh, approach, then I mean, totally. That's uh, that's kind of the only way to look at it, right? Like I, I think it's hard not to view uh, the the way a reliance upon um, government is is well just is uh, as sort of like an abject failure across the board from a um a leadership uh, perspective but yeah. man if people didn't do just a fantastic job of looking out for themselves for the for each other and themselves where possible and um you know there, there's definitely outliers there that made uh 
you know, everything from being a business owner to being a participant in polite society, a bit of a nightmare, but I guess all things considered more of a rarity than the, than the rule in terms of uh, you know, th- those nightmare scenarios that you, you laid out, which I, I shared as well. Well, guys, thanks for coming on the phone and talking about this stuff. And uh, we have to do this again real soon. Anytime. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to 508. You can always email us at pieandcoffee at gmail.com. And remember, Worcester, you can bench more than you think you can.